Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. Grab your Bibles if you don't mind. And let's turn together to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be there in just a minute. I was going to grab some water. I almost drank the anointing oil. That is a very dangerous thing to do. (laughs) I'm going to put this down here in the altar. Thank you, baby. I appreciate that. Olive oil is not what I had in mind. It has been done before. That's an interesting story. I'll tell you that later. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. We'll be there in just a few minutes. So you just uh, just put your finger in your Bible and we'll be there in just a second. We'll be around verse 14. Okay? Uh, let's pray and dive into the Word of God. Lord, we just thank you for a chance to be here today. Thank you for a chance to breathe and to be in your presence. Lord, I pray that uh, as we uh, open up your word, that it would be the bread of life for us. And Lord, I pray that we uh, rightly divide it. I pray that we present it in a way that uh, is understandable and and most importantly, in a way that uh, is truth-speaking and life-giving. And I pray, Lord, that you would uh, that you would just bless our time together in your word and change our lives and our minds uh, as a result of what you're going to speak to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but God is teaching you stuff right now, if you'll just pay attention. I'm not talking about hearing my voice in the pulpit. I'm talking about in every stage and season of your life, God is revealing himself to you so that you can know more of him and you can understand him better. Uh, everybody's in a different season, right? That's the challenge of, of pastoring. That's the challenge of being in community is that we're all in different places and in different seasons. But no matter what it is, God's always speaking to us. And you can learn from the season that I'm in and I can learn from the season that you're in. Now, we're, Valerie and I are in a really interesting season right now. Uh, some of you, uh, most of you probably know, but uh, we have three grandbabies under a year old in our family. So um, Valerie keeps the babies so the moms can work, moms and dads can work. And uh, so we get to spend a lot of time with the grandbabies. And it's really been a joy. It's really an honor to be able to be a part of this season of these babies' lives. Um, but we're having a little trouble, and I was going to see if you could help me. Um, we're having a little trouble with these babies acting right. Um, they just don't act right. We have given them... A very clear list of expectations. We wrote it down so that they could follow it. Um, but they refuse. They refuse to do what we have laid out for them to do. We have asked them very reasonable things. And I think you'll agree with me. Very reasonably we have asked them to please limit their crying to once or twice a week um, at the most. Um, we've asked them to prepare their own food. Because they're, they're, I mean, their legs ain't broke. There ain't nothing wrong. They can get, they can get in there and fix their own food. Um, we have asked them not to take things that don't belong to them, like don't suck on the remote control. Um, 
We have asked them very politely to just poop in the toilet, please, like everybody else. Um, do you know them little jokers just cry whenever they feel like it? They just do what they think. They run the place. They get hungry. They poop in their diaper. They get bored. They get sleepy. They never come and have a conversation with us. They never discuss it with us. They just cry. They won't do anything for themselves. And they grab everything like everything belongs to them. Bunch of little kleptomaniacs is what they have, what they are in my house. We want them to grow up to be responsible adults and good citizens. So we just keep going over the rules, but they're not getting it. And we're a little frustrated and tired. (laughs) Now that's completely ridiculous, right? Obviously, that is ridiculous. They're infants. It is Some things, those things are just completely out of reach for them right now. They can't do those things. No matter how much we ask, they simply are not able to do what we want them to do. Now let me ask you this. Why do we do that to new believers? Why is it when somebody gets saved, when they choose to follow Jesus, that we pat them on the back with one hand while we hand them the list of rules? In the other hand, all the things that they should, or if you grew up in the church I grew up in, mostly should not do or go or say or think or wear or watch. Other than that, have a great life, right? And and, and if they keep doing the things that are in violation of the rules, what we do? We just keep hammering away until they either conform or until more likely they get frustrated and they just walk away. Now, according to developmental psychologists, the purpose of infancy and early childhood is to build attachments and trust between child and parent. That's what childhood's about. It's incredibly important to the future of that child. When they cry, they, have, they need to learn that the parent comes. When they're dirty, they need to learn the parent comes and changes them. When they're hungry, the parent comes and feeds them. When they're scared, the parent comforts them and protects them. When they're hurt, the parent holds them. When, when it comes to uh, time to learn what to do or what to say, they mimic the parent, right? That's the good news and the bad news. They say whatever you say. They do whatever you do, right? But that's how they learn. When there's danger, what do they do? They run to the parent. When they're uncertain about something, they look to the parent for reassurance. If they want to know if something's right or wrong, they turn to the parents for guidance. And it's that connection, it's that attachment that is the foundation for all of their future relationships, not just their relationship with their parent, but for every relationship. It's, it's foundational for their moral and ethical development. It's foundational for their sense of esteem and security. It is literally the building block for everything that will ever happen in their lives. And if during that time there is abuse or there's neglect during those formative years, it can sometimes be repaired later in life. But it takes a lot of patience, it takes a lot of perseverance over many, many years to rebuild what was broken in that time. 
Now, what's most important during those formative years is that they learn the love of a parent. That's what that's all about. And that's what gives them the ability and the confidence and the knowledge and the security to move forward in their lives. It's what gives them the ability to receive correction. You've all met those kids, those people that can't be told anything. Something happened in those first three years of life. It gives them the ability to hold themselves to a higher standard, to strive for something more than just the bare minimum. It, it gives them the ability because they've learned to trust the love of a parent. Now what the church has done too many times with far too many new converts is that we have not given them time, nor have we emphasized the importance of learning the heart of the Father. Because we immediately want them to start to conform to some sort of external standard of behavior. We want them to do things and, and, and look like us and act like us and sound like us. And, and we, and, but that's, that's about us. It's not about them. And it's not even what's best for them. So instead of shoving rules down their throats, we need to introduce them to the Word of God and the presence of God. We just need to get them beside him. Get them doing life with the Father. They need to learn to trust him. They need to learn to hear him. They need to learn to know him. They need to learn to look to him first. And when they do, they will learn to love him and to want to be like him. Because the birthplace of Christ-like character is not a list of rules. It's a relationship with Jesus. That's how you create disciples. We need to quit trying to cram life change down people's throats from the outside in. If they'll spend time with God in prayer and in worship and in His Word, they will begin to change the only way that lasting change has ever happened, and that's from the inside out. It'll be a slow and methodical process, but it's an authentic development of a child of God. And, and it's, that, it's because it's slow that it frustrated people, and that's why we created all this other stuff, to try to make it look faster. But once that, it, it, it'll start slow, but once that foundation of love and trust is developed, the rate of growth will explode. Now, the, the, our, our babies are... 10 months and 8 months, right? Is that right? Okay, 10 months and 8, I don't know, they're babies, they're little people, ankle biters. Um, so they're little people, they're 10 months, 8 months. The, I'll tell you, the first few months of, of their lives, they didn't do much. Eat, sleep, cry, poop. That's pretty much their, their whole deal. Um, it's amazing, the stage of life that they're in now, how fast they're learning stuff. Like almost every day, I see them, and they're doing something new. Like I walked in a couple weeks ago, AZ waves at me. I'm like, how do you know to wave? Who told you to wave? So now she's waving at everybody, you know? So it's just they're, they're crawling around, running around. They're just doing all, all these. They're doing all the things all at one time, okay? And it's just happening so fast. But it didn't happen fast to begin with. All right. So here's the idea in, in, a, in a nutshell. Before a person is going to learn to, to act like Jesus or to talk like Jesus, 
they're going to have to learn to know Jesus and to love Jesus. It's all about the love of the Father. And that's the, the title of the message today. And I want to show it to you in the Word in Ephesians chapter 3. So you can, you can grab your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 3. We're going to start in verse 14. Ephesians 3 and 14. Now, let me tell you what's happened before this, because the first line is, when I think of all this, um, Paul, in the beginning of, of chapter 3, has just laid out what he calls the mystery of Christ, that because of Jesus, he's brought Jew and Gentile together, he's redeemed us from sin, he's restored our relationship to the Father. Paul's just described that to the church at Ephesus, and now he's, he's telling them this, and he's about to begin what is one of, I think, three prayers, pastoral prayers that Paul is going to offer for the church at Ephesus. So this is what he says, when I think of all of this, all of that stuff about how Christ has brought everybody together and redeemed them, he said, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources. So Paul's saying God can do anything. He's unlimited in his power. He's got everything we need. So what's he going to ask for? He said, I'm going to pray that he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into what? Into God's love. Not his law into his love and keep you strong. And then he's, again, out of this unlimited resource uh, of God, he said, I'm praying that, that you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and long and high and deep his love is. Verse 19. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more, the King James says uh, exceedingly, abundantly more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church, and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's powerful. It's powerful. And it's, a, it's, it's sort of paradigm shifting. The, the goal of discipleship is what that just described. The goal of discipleship is that every person can be made complete and mature so that he or she can experience the life and power of God. Nobody, nobody's arguing that. Nobody's arguing that that's the goal of Christianity. The difference is this verse tells us that there's only one path that will actually get us there. Only one way to make disciples in the way that, uh, that he describes it there. He says, if you can just experience the love of Christ. It, not that you'll ever fully understand it. But if you can just experience, what, what does it say in another place? It says if you can taste and see that the Lord is good, then Christ will make himself at home in your life. Then, and it says then you'll, you'll learn to trust him, 
that your roots will grow down deep and strong, and then God will accomplish through his love that's working inside of you exceedingly, abundantly, more than you can ask or even understand. Is that not an incredible result, an an unbelievable description of what a disciple should be? If our lives were like that, would we not find our satisfaction in, in Christ? Would we not live lives that are full and satisfying? Would we not see revivals in our homes and our families and our churches and our communities if that was a description of all the believers? <laughs> then what in the world happened? Because that's been there for 2,000 years. What happened? We've settled for behavior modification instead of spiritual transformation. We've decided that it makes more sense to give a list of rules to babies. And though the metaphor is incomplete, it's just inadequate to really convey the the depth of this problem, what we have in the American church now, because of the way we've treated our newborn spiritual babes, is now we've got a church full of traumatized children who were abused and neglected in their spiritual infancy because they were never encouraged or allowed to experience the love of Christ or the love of God the Father. Because they were too busy trying to change themselves to check off the boxes on the list that we gave them. And they didn't attach to the Heavenly Father. Now as a result, we've got believers who are shallow and immature. They're resentful and distrustful. And rightfully so. They they assume the worst about people. And they have a hard time developing relationships. They're bound and they're bitter because their image of God is a harsh taskmaster waiting to zap them the the moment they do something wrong. They have no concept of the biblical and spiritual reality of God as Father. A friend of mine said this, said, we have to stop viewing God through the lens of our own human experience. And that's, that's absolutely true. It's also very, very difficult. But it's life-changing if we can grasp that understanding. Because no matter how good your earthly father was, God's better. It's, it's all the good stuff of the best possible earthly father without any of the bad stuff. And it's, and it's a mind-blowing understanding. So what's the key to discipleship? It's not laws. It's not lists. It's not rules. It's a relationship with a father who loves you. That's the foundation of discipleship. And Paul said, you, you can't even fully understand how wide and long and high and deep his love is for you. It's hard to wrap your brain around, but you've got to taste it. You've got to experience it. You have to Immerse yourself in it. Now, maybe one of the best pictures, and the the Bible has to paint pictures for us to understand the things that are otherwise incomprehensible. Maybe one of the best pictures of of this kind of love is the story of the prodigal son. Now, many of you probably know the story. A man had two wealthy sons. One of them asked for his part of the inheritance uh, on the spot. And he went, he left home, he went and blew all his money partying. 
And the money ran out, as it always does, and he hit rock bottom. And he came to himself, my, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, the boy came to himself and he said, even my father's servants are living better than I'm living. So I know I've blown it as a son, but I'm at least going to go and ask him to hire me as one of his servants. So he got up and he started for home. And then I want to show you this one verse right out of the middle of this, of this passage. It says in Luke 15, 20, it says, He returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now I want to show you a couple things, just a couple things from, from, uh, about the love of the father from this parable. Just real quick. First of all, the, lo- the father's love is relentless love. It's relentless love. It says the father saw him from a long way off. How did that happen? He didn't have sensors. He didn't have him wired on GPS, right? He didn't, he didn't have motion detectors. How did he know? It has to be because he was looking for him. He was watching for him. All these months, all these years after he left, the father was still watching and waiting and longing relentlessly for his boy to come home. I hear people talk about this all the time, and I'm sure you've said it or heard it said. I hear people say, I guess God's just given up on me. I guess God's just given up on me. Listen to me. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. Never, never does God give up on people. God does not give up on people. Not me, not you, nobody ever. He loves. He just loves. He just pursues. He will come to find you wherever you go. Other people may have failed you. Other people have failed you. Other people have been a a terrible example of what love is supposed to be. Maybe your earthly father didn't come when you cried. Maybe your earthly mother was too busy self-medicating with whatever substance or relationship she was pursuing. But don't get mixed up. That's not him. That's not our father. I started to say, our father will do whatever it takes. He already did. He already did. He sent Jesus to die in our place. He traded one son for many sons and daughters. He he sent Jesus to die for us. Jesus said on the cross, it's finished. It's already done. Everything. He already did everything so that he could be with you everywhere. And not just with you. He said, I'm going to leave this earth so that I can send the Holy Spirit and be in you. So if you've wandered away from God, if you've fallen into sin, he's not mad at you. He's not in heaven right now plotting ways to make you suffer. He's standing there on the front porch of heaven watching and waiting for you to take the first step towards home. And if you will simply take that first step... The Father will come running to meet you. Not full of anger and judgment and resentment. Full of love and compassion is what the Word said. 
You say, John, but listen, won't, won't he be mad at me? He's just glad you're home safe. The pain, the past, the sin, you'll deal with all of that later. But in that moment, it's about the father embracing the child. And he's not waiting to love you once you get your act together. This boy didn't have his act together. He was just hungry and had no other options. He was filthy. He just said, I just got nothing else. I'm just going to go to the Father. It's not like he had an epiphany two months ago and now he's an executive and earned all his money back. He's broke and broken and filthy and home. And that's all the Father needed to know. He loves you despite all of the mess that you've got going on. He's not waiting on you to figure it out. He loves you entirely and completely and eternally and infinitely right now. Right in the middle of your mess. While, while you're still contending with what Jordan was talking about last week, with the, the sin that so easily entangles you, with that thing that you've done and repented of and did again, 872 times. He is not sitting on the throne going, I'm going to give him till 900 and then I'm done. That's not the Father. That's not Him. So, can we go back to the original analogy here? When you cry and pitch a fit, He still loves you. And don't tell me you don't cry and pitch a fit because I cry and pitch fits from time to time. When you mess your diaper again, he still loves you. When you're tired and hungry and cranky and lonely and hurt and confused, before you even learn to walk spiritually, before you've learned to read and write and feed yourself, God still loves you. It's a relentless, unconditional love. You say, well, John, if he wants to make us into mature disciples, how does this make any sense? Shouldn't he be mean? Shouldn't he be mad? Shouldn't he be handing us the list of rules? Love and acceptance create space for growth and change. Right? No matter how mean and nasty we are to these babies, they're just babies. But if we'll just love them and take care of them, and do for them what they can't do for themselves at this point, they will grow and develop and learn to do the things that they need to learn. So, well, doesn't God expect us to give up our lifestyle of sin when we follow Him? Yes, but He expects you to do that once you learn His love, not once you earn His love. And that is only one letter, but a whole world different. When you're in covenant with Jesus, everything begins and ends with love. It is a covenant of love. You don't have to earn it. He just gives it to you. You you just have to learn the love of the Father. You have to experience the love of Christ so that your roots can start to grow. And by the way, all that root growth happens under the surface. From the outside, it doesn't look like anything's happening. And that's the frustrating part when you're trying to nurture a little one. 
physically or spiritually. You don't really know. You, there's no sign on a plant that pops up and says, root growth happening here, just be patient. Everything's fine. Yeah, and you can't like dig down and see what's going on. That's, that's just not how that happens. You, you just have to believe that the roots are growing down. And it, it's frustrating, and that's why church people created all these other ways to measure it. Because they wanted to see something. It's that impatience that gave birth to this religious path that, that of rule following that we give to people. But this is the way that actually works, according to Ephesians. Once the roots get good and deep, the plant growth happens, and it's sustainable, and it's, uh, it's fruitful, and it's abundant. What, you, you let, a, you let a, um, a celebrity claim faith in Christ and just wait for the church people. What do the church people say? Well, if he was really saved, he wouldn't be saying that. He wouldn't be doing he, She wouldn't be dressed like that if she was really a Christian. Like, she just met Jesus like two seconds ago. Could you give her a minute to buy another dress? Like, could you give her a minute to figure out who she is in Christ and what that even means? Like, can we calm down and quit trying to send people to hell so fast? You don't know what's happening in somebody's heart. And can, can we be for real honest? Like, most of the people who are Bible thumping and sending people to hell ain't had a relationship with Jesus in 26 years. Because if they did, they'd have the love of the Father who says, there's a little one that I need to be protecting and taking care of because love covers, not exposes. If you're in such a hurry to expose everybody, you got a, you got a rude awakening coming because what you sow, you also reap. Sorry, that's just, that's just the truth, right? we got to start protecting our babies. we got to protect our babies. So no matter what you've been through, no matter what's going on in your life, where you are on your spiritual journey, just come home to the relentless love of the Father. Now, the story continues. The parable goes on to describe the boy's repentance. Um, it describes his father's response, which is to restore him back to sonship, to give him his ring and his robe back, to throw a big party. His brother, you know, I told you there were two boys. Unfortunately, the other brother was not as excited about his brother's return. And he refused to come to the party and confronted his dad about his generosity um, to, it, for a person who had failed him so miserably and had wasted his money. He just could not wrap his brain around why his father would have so much joy at the return of this prodigal son. So here's one last thing to learn from this uh, parable about the love of the Father, and that is His is revelatory love. And I'm going to tell you what that means. Revelatory love. When you experience the love of the Father, He reveals His heart to you. When you experience His love, you understand His heart. It's revelatory love. The older brother had served the Father, but he never knew the Father. Because had he, he, see, he understood servanthood, he did not understand what it meant to be a son. He understood what it meant to be a servant. He didn't understand what it meant to be a son. Because if he had had any revelation of the heart of his father at all, he would have known exactly why his father 
was throwing a party. You, you cannot get a revelation of who God really is unless you understand the Father's love. Because all of the things that Father does for us makes no sense unless you start with love. You see, sons get revelation that servants never will. Sons get revelation that servants never will. His love is revelatory. Let me ask you this. How do you see yourself in relationship to Christ? How do you see yourself in relationship to the Father? Are you a son or a daughter? Or are you a servant? It makes all the difference in the world. It doesn't mean that if you're a son or a daughter, you don't serve. It just means the role, which role comes first? The prodigal, even in the midst of his sin, understood the love of the father enough that he knew he would at least let him return as a servant. But of course, the father exceeded his expectations. And and he said, I'm never going to settle for you being my servant because you're my son. Why? Because God's a restorer. He's a redeemer. He, he's always, it's always been about relationship for him. It's never been about works. He never asked you to earn your way to heaven. He never asked you to work your way into relationship with him. That's never what it's been about. That's why he's going to have to say to people at the judgment, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Why? Because I never knew you. Now, when you read that passage of, of Jesus saying what he's going to say in the future to those people, it, you're going to understand they had served, these people he's talking to had served and worked and had a really impressive ministry resume. But it had not come from a knowledge of the Father's love. That's why Jesus said every commandment, the, whole, the law and the prophets can all be summed up in two things, love God, love your neighbor. That's it. Love God, love people. Because love's the motivator. When you love God and you love people, you're not going to lie, cheat, steal, d- do them wrong. All of that stuff it comes out of, flows out of the foundation of love. Love's the motivator. And once you understand the love of the Father, you're going to develop His love for yourself and for everybody else that you meet and for Him. But listen, don't misunderstand Him. He's not offering His love as some sort of incentive as some sort of bait and switch to get something from you. The beauty of being in a, in a loving relationship with the creator of the universe is that he don't need nothing. You ain't got nothing he needs. You, us coming to God does not make him more God. He is self-sustaining. He, he's self-existent. It, our praise doesn't make him bigger. He just deserves it. Right? We're not doing something for God. It's not as if if we withhold what we have or what we can do that God's just going to wither up and go away. He doesn't need us. He wants us. That's completely different stuff. He, he loves you. Period. It's, it's safe to come to the Father. That may not have ever been said about any other relationship in your life, but this is a safe relationship. He will will never manipulate you. He will never violate you. He honestly just wants to love you as deeply and as unconditionally as you'll let him. 
It's not, let me get my act together so God will love me and be proud of me. It's, God loves me and is proud of me, so that motivates me and it enables me to be different. God has my back. God has my best interest at heart. He helps me when I fall. He doesn't step on my throat and condemn me. He helps me up. He surrounds me with his love and with that great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews 12 to cheer me on. We've got to learn that his love isn't the goal that we're striving for. It's the foundation we're standing on. See, it's hard for us to think about that because we've never known that kind of love on this earth. But that's the love of the Father. It's relentless in its pursuit of us. It's, it, it's relentless in its acceptance of us. It reveals the heart of the Father to us. And it's the key to proper growth and development of his disciples. There's just no other way to make true disciples. Now, say, John, listen, um, what are we supposed to do now? Because I'm no longer a baby, but um, I came up in a religious rank that tried to force me to do the right stuff for the wrong reason. Like, I came up, I don't, did y'all come up in, in the church or in a home where it was just you you just do what I tell you to do and don't ask questions. Like, you do it because the preacher said to do it. Like, we never, it was not okay. And I'm not talking about that, that it's better to be completely disrespectful and have to have a conversation about everything. But you understand the middle ground, the healthy middle ground that I'm talking about. Like, we never necessarily stopped to find out what the Word said. We never necessarily said, now, did God say that? Or is that your thing? Because we would have saved ourselves a whole lot of grief and a whole lot of other people, a whole lot of grief if we'd have just checked in with the Father before we made the list, right? So you say, John, I grew up in that. I, that's all I've ever known. What am I supposed to do? Here's the first thing. It's the first thing that always happens in, in relationship with God. You repent for wrong motives. According to 1 Corinthians 13, every spiritual gift, everything spiritual uh, should be operated in love, should be done out of love. So anything that's done just because you thought you had to do it or because you, you thought you ought to do it, I'm not sure that qualifies for love. So we should repent. You say, John, I'm not sure about that. Well, let's just go talk to the Father about it. Just go talk to Him. Repent and ask God to help purify your motives. Like, God, show me why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't want to just do it because other people do it. I want to know what's the point. So that's the first step is to, is to repent. The second thing is to renounce religion as an idol. Renounce religion as an idol. Anything that takes the place of God in your life is an idol. And religion's dependence on good works to earn the love of God is absolute heresy. That is not Christianity. Anything that puts you on a path of good works that to lead you to the Father's good, good graces or good favor or to lead you to earn the love of the Father, that's not Christianity. You want to start worrying about doing the right thing so you get a better life? That's karma. 
That's Hinduism. That's not Christianity. Christianity is the Father loved, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. That's Christianity. So if you've used anything else to get to the heart of the Father except that, that's an idol. You, you renounce that as an idol. Because Romans 8, Romans 8 makes it clear that we can't be separated from the love of God. You, he cannot love you more, and He will not love you less. Here's the third thing. Ask God to heal your heart. Ask Him to heal your heart from, from the wounds that religion have, have done to you. Because religion is a cruel taskmaster. I have seen it in, in people's faces. I've seen it way too many times in the mirror looking back at me. People are exhausted. People are worn slap out. So spun up about doing everything just right. Do, it's trying to be perfect so that God might love us this week. is exhausting. And what happens is it drains all of our energy just from trying to behave and we have no energy, we have no time, we have no focus on the lost and dying world that, that is passing right by us, which is our purpose. So all the striving to be good, to be perfect, creates bitterness at God. It creates shame and guilt in ourselves because we, I don't know if you've noticed this, but you can never get it right enough. So we have to get healed from that. And here's the last thing. Pray this prayer that Paul prayed Pray it over yourself. Pray it over yourself. Ask God for the power to understand and experience His love. We have to be honest with God. He loves you. So quit lying to Him. Quit hiding stuff from Him. He already knows. And He's still okay with you. So be honest with Him. You can be like the dad who came to Jesus and said, You remember that He said, hey, You need to heal my son. And he's like, do you believe that I can do this? He says, yes, I believe. But if there's any bit of unbelief in here, like, get that out. Because I need you. We need to come to the Father and say, Lord, I love you. And I know you love me. But it, it, help me with those parts of myself that haven't quite grasped the love of the Father yet. Like, get those things out of there. Because I want to be fully loved by you. So, if you got to boil it down to a sentence, like, say this, God, help me live like you already love me. Help me live like you already love me. Now, here's, I can't get away from this, so I want to I say this to you today as, as we're closing. What would you do for God if you knew for sure that He would still love you and would still accept you whether you succeeded or failed. How would that change your spiritual life? How would that change your willingness to obey God if you knew there was zero chance that He would reject you? How would that change your willingness to take a risk for God? Because there is no such thing as faith without risk. How would it change your spiritual life if you quit seeing God as the angry old man on the throne and saw Him as the loving Father that you always wish you had? 
Y'all stand with me, please. Listen, I was all excited because I was going to get to preach this message about love. I don't, I don't do that, you know. I, you know how this usually works. I was really excited, but it still feels heavy. I think it feels heavy because it's, it, it's hopefully turned a lot of our perceptions on its ear. Hopefully it's turned some things upside down in your life because we need to turn some things upside down. I need to turn some things upside down in my life. 51 years of being in the church have left some scars and have left some misunderstandings in my life still that I have to wrestle with. I am assuming, unless you just got saved two seconds ago, you got some stuff that you've got to unlearn too. So we're going to open the altar. Bree's going to sing a song. She actually learned a song for this occasion. That's a perfect way to express the love of the Father. If you want to come and pray, he loves you. He wants you to bring him your stuff. So no matter what's going on, whether... So maybe you want to come and start reflecting on the motive, the foundational motive of your life. Maybe you want to come and start asking him this Ephesians prayer. God, give, show, help me to live like you already love me. Help me to grasp the understanding of the power of your love in my life. Help me to experience your love. Maybe you want to have that conversation. It'd be time well spent. Or maybe you've got a family member, you yourself, or a family member that's sick. Maybe you've got a relationship thing going on. Maybe you've got a financial issue. Whatever your need is, the Father loves you and wants to hear about it. So come and lay it on the altar. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I I pray that you would send us a revival of love. A revival of love. Not that you need to do anything because you've already done it all. Your love is already endless. But Lord, help us to have this revival of the recognition of your love, that the width and the depth and the height and the the length of your love. Help us, Lord, revive us to that understanding. Lord, I pray that you would set people free. I pray over covenant life right now and over every person that's watching this or who will hear this in the future. I pray that you set us free of legalistic activities that are motivated by some desperate need to be loved and accepted. Lord, help us to realize we are already in the beloved. We are already loved. We are already accepted by you because of Jesus. Lord, help us to see that your love is not not the, the finish line. It's the starting blocks. Help us, Lord, to everything we do for you, every day that we live for you, help us, Lord, to to start it in your lap as you pour your love on us. And Lord, may we use that as the foundation and the motivation for everything that we do and say. In the name of Jesus, Lord, would you draw every person to this altar that needs to come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. 
That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.